You were born a hunter-gatherer. You were born a social animal, one that moves within the land and moves between bands in a world that was meant to be less measured, less exact. We were meant for lives with more meaning and less consequence, a life where connection and meaning are implicit, where animals have voices and trees have stories, a world where rivers flow unabated and water isn't a health hazard, a world without fences, a world without flags, a world without rulers and gods. It's our world, the world of primal anarchy. We are here to say that either the world burns or the cities do. We're here to say that abusers convince you that you have no choice. We're here to say that marketers convince you that you have their options. We're here to say that you are wild, that you can be free. We're here to say that there's a match in one end and bull cutters in the other. And we aren't here to say that the world is waiting. We are here to say that the world is fighting. We are here to say that their story only ends one way. And we're here to tell you that there are others. Primal Anarchy Podcast is a collection of rants, tirades, condemnations, readings, musings, explorations, response, interviews, and iterations hosted by Primal Anarchist writers Kevin and Natasha Tucker. Find us online at primalanarchy.org, all major podcast platforms, and the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Welcome to Primal Anarchy Podcast. This is episode 24, and it is May 3rd. 2020. Uh, I am your host, Kevin Tucker. And I am your host, Natasha Tucker. And you might have noticed it's been a while since we've had an episode. And you might have also noticed by now, we've got a great new little uh, opening thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a jingle. A jingle, if you mm-hmm. will. Uh, so, yeah, so we're getting more professional by the minute. <laughs> Even though we haven't recorded an episode in what would seem an inexcusably long time. We also waited until the last day to make that jingle. We did, We waited until the last minute. <laughs> we waited until the deadline. Minutes. So we hope you like it. We hope you like it. Uh, but yeah, so a bunch of things have happened. Uh, you might have noticed the world has changed a good bit. Since Significantly. The last, since the last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's just going to be true no matter when you're listening to this from here on out. So if you're listening to this in a year from now, it might sound quaint. <laughs> well, we, we don't know. Uh, but just like in terms of uh, the general house cleaning and everything like that, I do apologize. There's been a bunch of holdups in black and green orders and getting things straight. Uh, and also, obviously, the holdup in getting the podcast out. I got real sick, I don't know, December, January, mm-hmm. um, and had pneumonia. Uh, I probably did have coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, just maybe the past week i was able to talk for lengths of time without coughing mm-hmm. insanely so the lack of podcast was for your benefit so you didn't have to hear me coughing constantly and wheezing to say words which shouldn't induce that yeah it was really bad yeah but um we also moved uh and got all the black and green stuff from three or four locations into one I did hold off on sending out any new orders for quite some time because I wanted to make sure that uh, there were no issues with contagions. Um, But, of course, the backlog of orders got a bit substantial, so we're packaging everything up now. It is going out within days, and if you're listening to this, probably already in the mail. We'll get an email. I apologize to people. It's just been... It's been a weird time. Mm -hmm. We're so sorry for the delays. But we know it's very hard waiting for 
to get something that you've ordered. So we apologize for that, and um, we're trying to remedy it now. But we're back in rotation, uh, and also we do have a new PO box, as I mentioned. Uh, it's PO Box Thirty Six, Denver, Pennsylvania, one seven five one seven. That's PO Box Thirty Six, Denver, Pennsylvania, one seven five one seven. Not Denver, Colorado. Not. It's the other Denver. The other. It's the other. The very other Denver. It's a windy Denver, a <laughs> quaint little place, but it's not. It is not the Mile High City. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So all that stuff will be moving, and as soon as we get dug out here, which again be in, in the next couple of days, then things will be rolling, as per usual. Mm-hmm. But just a weird time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, we will be regularly making podcasts. Finally. As we had talked about doing last time. And we do have a bunch of stuff lined up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are also very excited. Uh, I'm going to skip right ahead real quick here. Uh, we talked about a book club a bunch of different times. Mm-hmm. And I think we finally have it going. And I think the world is becoming accustomed to uh, the oddness of Zoom calls and things like that. So we'll probably do the book club over Zoom. Uh, the first book that we're going to do is an excellent book called Terra Nullius. A Journey Through No One's Land by Sven Linquist. Uh, the book originally came out, I know this translated edition came out in, well, 2007 for the translation. 2005 is when the book originally came out. And then uh, the book I have, 2012, uh, Granta put out an edition. There was also an edition, I think New Press put out. Uh, but uh, in terms of getting the book, uh, Terranolias could be a little bit harder to find, but it's a little bit easier to find uh, his book, The Dead Do Not Die, which contains Terranolias and Exterminate All the Brutes, which Exterminate All the Brutes is a very, very, very fucking good book. Um, I pretty much every time people ask me for book recommendations like that and Mark Hucker's uh, Rivers of Blood, Rivers of Gold, mm. I, I tend to link those two books together, but uh, Linkless was, was a really really amazing writer um this book is very solid it's a pretty quick read it's written really really well and i think everybody will like it um there is an ebook available of the dead do not die i don't think there was an ebook available of terra Nullius, or at least i didn't see one um but because everything's a little bit weird and i i did also look i know that powell sells it uh but and that powell's has used copies uh, but like left bank books and stuff like that did not. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be something that's easy. And I don't know if I could get the books through the distro myself to make them come along easier. But as it is right now, everything's slow. It's better mm-hmm. off for this book. Do your best to find it. And um, I think that we're saying like in a month. Yeah, I think if we read it and then we, we reconvene in a month to talk about it, that yeah. seems like it'll be enough time. Yeah, and um, send us an email at the end, one word, T-H-E-E-N-D, at blackandgreenpress.org with book club in the... Uh, subject heading. In the subject heading, and then we'll add you to an email list and get things going from there. If people have opinions or strong opinions about whether or not a month is enough time... Let us know. Let us know. We're adaptable. And if you'd like to participate in the book club, but you don't 
you just can't dirt for this one, that's totally fine too. You can let us know if you're interested in general as mm, well. No, no, no. It, <laughs> attendance is mandatory. <laughs> no, it's really not. We'll fly your house and beat you down. Flights are very cheap right now, I believe. That's, that is true. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, just to be a little bit ahead, because it can be a little bit hard to get books, especially because there's no libraries, to my knowledge, that are going to be open anytime soon. Uh, the book after this we're going to do is Beyond Words by Carl Safina. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Which is, it's a fucking amazing book. It's that completely one, mind-blowing. This one we'll do a whole book. That one's like 400 pages. So I think we'll do two. Mm-hmm. Um, and also he's got a new book out called Becoming Wild, uh, which we just got and have not read yet. But Carl's books have been amazing. So. Yeah, his writing is absolutely incredible. Uh, but to give a little taste of Terra Noise, would you like to read this or should I? You can go ahead. All right, I'm going to read just like a little bit from Terra Noise to give you an idea about what this book is about. But I absolutely love this book. I, I, think I haven't read write... it either yet, so I'm excited. <laughs> you're you're I'm chopping for... block. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, but it's, mine is well marked. Uh, terra Noleus, from the Latin terra, earth, ground, land, and Noleus, no one's. Thus, no one's land, land belonging to anybody, or at any rate, not to anybody that counts. Originally, land not belonging to the Roman Empire. In the Middle Ages, land not belonging to any Christian ruler. Later, land to which no European state as yet lays claim. Land that justly falls to the first European state to invade the territory. Empty land. Uninhabited land. Land that will soon be uninhabited because it was populated by inferior races, condemned by the laws of nature to die out. Land where the original inhabitants are, or can soon be rendered, so few in number as to be negligible. The legal fictions summed up as terra nullius were used to justify the European occupation of large parts of the global land surface. In Australia, this meant legitimizing the British invasion and its accompanying acts of dispossession and the destruction of indigenous society. It's a hard book to sum up because it's just like, it covers a lot and his writing is excellent and it's just like, it's a journey. But mm-hmm. it's, if you want to demolish colonialism, and civilization and the impact between or the the frontier between civilization uh and indigenous societies and indigenous life link was done so in in terranolis he's focusing in australia and exterminated all the brutes it was largely focused kind of like chasing um down the 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 path that uh that was laid out in oh i'm liking the name hearts of darkness Mm -hmm. uh joseph conrad uh, and talking about the rubber trade and things like that. But mm-hmm. he's he's a great writer. It's a great book. Trust me, you'll love it. And if you don't... <laughs> That's what we'll talk about. That's yeah. what the book club is for. We'll, we'll, the book club is to tell you how your soul is. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> if you don't like what we like. <laughs> um, I think that the book club will be a great opportunity for us to interface with people who are interested in the same things in a way that's a little more personal than just internet and typing and listening to us on the podcast and reading like i'm always lamenting about the fact that we can't interact with people as much as we want to especially right now so i think this might be a good time for it i absolutely agree which also reminds me i'm way behind on emails if you've sent messages i'll get to them eventually right soon sorry part of the dig out um so uh, one other thing here for immediate news is that the Kickstarter that we have talked about for some time will finally be ready to go. There's we'll been a it. long hype on this. There's a been long, a lot of hype. Slow hype. 
for two books that were done mm-hmm. in December. Mm-hmm. Oops. Uh, a couple things have happened. We're really excited about them. Like, mm-hmm. We're very, very excited. Yeah, but yeah, a couple things have happened. Uh, and so that Kickstarter, we should definitely have it up this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Kickstarter should be also hopefully a huge help to Black and Green. Um, as most people know, everybody right now is struggling. Uh, but for being a independent publisher, it's hard. And also there's a lot of stuff that we're looking forward to, a lot of stuff that we're working on. You should effectively see the floodgates opening. Right. I believe we're, we've settled down. Part of the whole reorganization was us figuring out how to do this full time. So we have jumped off. We're, we're here. We're ready to go. Um, so we've got all these projects ready to come out. Yeah. And you're going to be hearing more about that. I'm just going to go jump again. Jump ahead again. Absolutely. There's no rules. There's no rules there's here. There's no rules here. Uh, so one of the other things that you will also be seeing is Natasha is uh, an actual herbalist. Like it's a trained one, not just somebody who looked up recipes here and there, but has an amazing relationship with herbalism, for lack of a better word, amazing, amazing relationship with herbalism. She's an amazing teacher. She's taught courses on it. She was going to be starting courses again very soon in person, but uh, because of the coronavirus, obviously everything is now having to shift. So uh, she's working on getting that all switched over to online courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to be offering, or she's going to be offering up uh, herbal products that she's been making. Mm-hmm. But she's a badass herbalist. Her stuff Thank is you for amazing. all of these kind she, words, Kevin. She makes a pain salve that I'm sure everybody's dealt with a pain salve before, and it's like it's chunky and makes me feel gross. So her pain salve is amazing. Thank you for saying all of these wonderful things. Thank you for making it because <laughs> I have to use it a lot. Um, but she'll be doing online classes, uh, and we should be having more about that soon. But she is also doing sessions right now. So in addition to doing medicinals and doing them like as kind of like a general medicinal, um, if people have specific maladies or whatever things that are bothering them, mm-hmm. you can talk to Natasha as an herbalist, and she will make herbal remedies specifically for you and talk through them. Right. So we don't have it up on the website yet, but soon we will have um, herbal remedies available generally and then also i'm available for um like personal sessions yes and um and then we'll make something tailor-made to what you need yeah um so i'm already available for that we just don't have that up on the websites yet yeah and i mean also like i just have to plug it because i've been trying to describe to natasha how different her approach is than a lot of ones that i've seen uh and it's very much about building relationships relationships with plants and also really trying to understand um maladies from and and problems that you're having with like emotional core issues and traumas and, th- and like really getting to the bottom of it i was actually the uh example in one of her classes with her students and she had her students uh work through a session with me and it is not at all what you would think it's not what you would think most people are saying it's like oh i have itchy skin and blah blah, blah here's a plan for this like Okay, what are the things that could be relating to this? It's just a very holistic approach for, again, lack of a better word. Um, herbalism. Herbalism. I, I also think that a plants in the plant world, and um, for me, being an herbalist is really about like helping people reconnect themselves and get in touch with you know the natural world on a different level. So a lot of the classes and the work that I do is around that kind of thing, too. 
you could call it rewilding, you could call it reconnecting, you could call it nature awareness. Um, but those are kind of like some big themes. Erupting, flowering, primal anarchy. <laughs> right. We've got to drop the name. <laughs> yeah, no, we're we are very much trying to figure out names and words for these things. That are unnameable, and almost every instance of the name being used mm-hmm. will make you cringe. It's terrible. So please let us know if you are interested in a session or you have anything that's ailing you, and um, you can send it to that same email, the mm-hmm. end at... What are we, black and green? Blackgreenpress.org. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and get a hold of us, and I will respond to you um, as quickly as I can. Yeah. And um, so some other things. Uh, I'm going to plug an interview I did with Soul uh, from Soulcast, which is also on the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast mm-hmm. Network. Uh, it's a pretty lengthy interview. It's about two and a half hours or something like that, uh, talking about the coronavirus and breaking his long-standing tradition of not necessarily talking about the headlines and current politics uh but it was a really good interview uh i'm excited about it i hope people listen to it and get a lot out of it i listened to part of it we started listening to it together and i was like immediately completely caught up in in actually listening to it even though i know you and live with you and talk to you all the time so it really (laughs) is an engaging interview um and soul just seems really really like an like an honestly good guy like nice to talk to and interesting and thoughtful and yes so yeah. we're, we're happy about that interview and also but i mean there's something to talk about in there and i'm going to continually be talking about um like if if there's a future for uh like the green anarchist uh erica provost any kind of like anarchist leaning thing to go forward like we just gotta kill the western tradition like mm-hmm. there right now we're seeing just this insane rise on the right and on the left of all these uh fascistic principles uh and and it's the the knee-jerk reaction to it is just pure revisionism i never would have thought necessarily that we'd be arguing with people talking about comrade lenin uh and dusting off mao and just bootlicking left and right literally Mm -hmm. uh the way that we are right now but there's there's insane revisionism going on and there's been a lot within the anarchist world that i've already been kind of pushing away from um a lot of what has been going on under the anti-civ banner for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. has been going in a pretty despicable direction uh, as far as promoting just sterner and ted kaczynski as memes Mm. um and i'm i'm fucking sick to death of it i i i no allegiance to it ted kaczynski uh, is a Maoist in approach and he's a maniac as an individual, but come the fuck on, like get over it. Like we got to like, Sterner uh, unique in its own was a shitty book that was written 180 years ago as a playbook for narcissism. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just kind of keep leaning on it as like, we're, we're done with this, right? Can we be done with this? There's an entire history of indigenous resistance and resistance to civilization. That's what primal anarchy is about. This is this unrelenting core of who we are, that's striving for an egalitarian society, the world that we were meant for as hunter-gatherers. Mm. There's fucking endless, endless examples of resistance. Mm-hmm. Stop idolizing some weirdo who fucking stuck a bomb on a plane and sent an essay to Playboy. Like, there's a ton of people. Basically, what he did was just a polished version of what the RF was doing at the exact same time. Bader Manoff. Like, 
horrible, horrible authoritarian leftist groups mm-hmm. were doing the same forms of terrorism. And that's the, that's where he got his principle from. He left Berkeley in the 60s. Maoism was hip. His whole thing is about, like, you can have a technological revolution or a revolution against technology as long as it's solely aimed at that and it focuses on nothing else. And he's got a lot of really fucked up issues relating to women and relating to all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just be done. People are like, oh, well, he had a good critique of technology. It's like, his critique of technology is softball Alul. Uh, you know, if you want to read Alul, read Alul. Mm-hmm. Technological Society is a very easy book to find. But personally, I didn't even care for Alul that much. I think Mumford, Lewis Mumford's books are much better than uh, Myth, um, The Myth and the Machine. Those books are excellent mm-hmm. but like you want to look at an actual thing you want to look at like an actual resistance there's been untold untold levels of, of resistance to civilization there's mm-hmm. been untold examples of very successful resistance to civilization stop idolizing this guy like how mm-hmm. in a world True. where Lozen and victoria and cochise and all these people existed are people thinking they need to make a meme of jake I mean, I think part of the danger is that we're seeing right now, as time goes by, a new generation sort of keep coming up and they're looking for something and they're hungry and they know that there's something wrong with the way that we're living, but they're not sure what that means or where where to go with that. Um, I mean, there's, unless we talk about things like this, like the the kind of, um, the ideas behind things and the flaws with certain things and what everything means, uh, there's a big disconnect there. So there's a real risk of especially younger people coming up and then idolizing these ideas or these thoughts or these people that really there's some major flaws there to say the least. Yeah. So I think it's really important to talk about, and I keep saying to you and asking you to redefine things all the time. Like when you talk to people and I just keep saying, I think you cannot define what you're talking about enough. You cannot say enough about what you mean or where those thoughts come from or like, what what are you where are you trying to go with things because it's it really these are big subjects mm-hmm. you know it's really important to keep the dialogue open about fascism about anarchy about all of it yeah and i mean uh, and you're right and i think that that's something we're going to be focusing on more with upcoming episodes and actually something you've been very clear like about needing to do and something that it's it is important I mean, like, this is one of the things I loved about Natasha always is that you were, you were engaging in something that this is this is something you do. It's like, okay, okay, move past the flowery stuff. What are you getting at? What are you saying? And I, and I think that for the most of the radical traditions, there can be a tendency to just be like, I'm just arguing. I'm just, I'm, I'm, right. be, I'm out to be right. Um, or I'm out to be edgy. Or I'm out to do this or that. I'm like, we're, we're beyond that. I'm like, I love a good debate. I think it's very important to think of things and, you know, figure out where you where you are things and read and know the history and everything. But like, where does it land? Where have you landed? And you've been in this for such a long time now. You Mm -hmm. know, your philosophy or I know you hate the word philosophy, but your ideas around things have sort of changed and evolved over time. So now that we're here at this and it just so happens to be a totally different time in the world, I think we cannot talk enough about um like what those ideas mean and where they're going and then more importantly how do we apply them to the lives that we're living mm-hmm. right like we need to me it just feels like we need to take these ideas and then we need to we need to figure out what the actions are that go with the ideas yeah and i mean i think that a part of that too is 
is really to to draw some of this stuff out and to to look at it from this bigger perspective. And mm-hmm. This whole the idea of resistance and the idea of all the stuff that we've been talking about and doing is always on this level of looking at it from like a larger scope. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't this isn't about what you're going to do tomorrow mm-hmm. so much as it is about like these are the larger trends. These are these are trajectories. This is what we're talking about in terms of decades and generations, not just like today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Granted, if we had the ability to be like shut off the grid tomorrow, then we'd be having a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And in a way we do, but like is that going to happen necessarily? No, so like we can't pretend like it is, but we can't take it off the table either. Like I mean, I think it is I think this is all becoming more and more relevant as we go through this process with this virus right now because I think for a lot of us, we've been in your mind, and I think probably a lot of it comes from books and movies, you are you have this picture in your mind of what the fall of civilization would look like, or what it, what's going to happen, or how that's going to feel. And then I think this has been an eye-opener for many people, for many different reasons, because it's probably not, it's not, I'm going to say it right now, it's not going to be like an exciting movie plot. No. It's 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 happening now, like we always say. Like we're in collapse now, but it is a really, um, it's a shitty one. It's a dreadful process. It's a dreadful process, and it's also it's like, painful. You know, I mean the the hard thing is is like is this based on a virus? So it's like the one thing you should do is like okay, we're talking about networks of mutual aid, and these things are happening, but at the same time, there are extreme limits because you're you can't just like touch other people yeah it's a very um it's a very interesting it's a very interesting issue to have when you are a social species species yes it's it's a problem it is a problem it's it's almost like so big we're like dancing around it like we're like we are in the middle of something that is sort of unprecedented for humanity and i know there are a lot of different perspectives on it right now I know there are a lot of different perspectives on it right now, but the bottom line is things have changed drastically very quickly, and I think we're all trying to figure out how to find footing in a world that suddenly looks very different. Yeah, and so uh, I do want to kind of read through this thread I posted a little bit ago. It was from March 20th, uh, which I, I'm not even really sure these days where the best place to put things is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to know. We want to get things out there as wide as possible. I have been putting a lot more on Twitter. Um, and as I'm like going back through a lot of this research, which some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about later about the gospel of empire and everything like that, um, this is like a big question. Like how's, what's the easiest way and the quickest way and the widest spreading way to get a lot of this information out, um, which will remain kind of a crucial thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, for some doing late night research digs and stuff like that it it can be pretty easy to just post it up on twitter or something like that mm-hmm. um which if you want to follow there it's at gathered remains for my account um you can find that a lot of places but uh with the coronavirus and with everything going on i mean it's been hard to even really talk about it it's hard to keep up with because the whole thing that's happening especially in the united states is that we're we're really seeing what it looks like to be following the lead of a narcissist. And um, I think a lot of people have gotten accustomed to thinking narcissism is just like an insult. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that person's like so self-absorbed or something like that. It's like, no, narcissism is a medical condition where you have no insight. You have like 
no internal thing that's keeping track or regulating anything other than this like freak out reaction and it is it goes back to historical trauma it has to go back to childhood trauma there's a billion ways in which domestication will shatter your soul mm-hmm. um and a billion ways in which you can react to it but narcissism is one that is exceptionally problematic because a narcissist lies incessantly mm-hmm. they're always right they only care about themselves they don't have master plans the way that people would like to think they do so mm-hmm. when we're talking about people talk about trump like they talk about power and i mean i know i've talked about it on the podcast before i know it's been talked about considerably most people are used to looking at uh, the pathways of power and you look at people and politicians and, and corporations and they have a master plan. They're following that plan. There's a group of people who have come up with something that's horribly insidious mm-hmm. and they're following that. Um, well, and I think the really frightening thing about people who qualify as narcissists is they have a reduced um, ability to feel empathy. To none. Right. So that's very frightening. Yeah. They don't they genuinely are incapable of caring about other people and are only interested in being right. And so there's there's like no end point to it. There's no like, I'm looking to get to this point. It's just a, the unending uh, accruement of power and prestige. And just being fucking right. I mean, they're horrible people. Everybody knows a narcissist. And being in a relationship with a narcissist it can be a very difficult and sort of abusive experience. And so right now we are all engaged, whether we like it or not, in this abusive relationship with... In particular, some world leaders more than others. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, we're kind of trapped in this really awful thing right now, and it feels really horrible. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of impossible to not have that relationship with a narcissist be abusive, because, like, you just are going to battle them 100% of the time or serve them. Like, that's just the, the two ways about it. There's not really much middle ground, unless it's, like, the moment they're being opportunistic and then the title just turned back. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with somebody like Trump, it's, it's, there's no master plan. There's no whole vision of anything like that. They can run a million scams and a million cons at any given time and mm-hmm. say anything without ever actually saying anything. And you saw this about the bleach thing. The whole world saw that motherfucker get up there and say, well, we're looking into bleach, but like you, he, he's ostensibly asking another person about it but then that's his way of saying it. it's how a narcissist talks right they're they're built upon being the strong person but they never actually say something that can be they, they don't always say things in this definitive way it's like it's not like you should drink bleach it's like well you're looking into this and it and it does work right well it's a way of like shifting the blame to someone else like if it go you always want to sh- they want to shift the blame to someone else so you can never you can never pinpoint them on anything you can never get them on anything so it's like well it wasn't really my idea there wasn't really you yeah. know it kind of makes you complicit in the whole situation yeah but that's part of this whole maddening thing really and that's mm-hmm. why it's like we're talking about it. it's like we're you're, you're stuck in this situation where for some reason the, this narcissist is being given a bigger and bigger stage even though just going crazy with it and by now everybody ought to know what the playbook is everybody ought to know that it's just like oh this crazy town talk is going to be just whatever feels like self-validating for this uh asshole at that moment and so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what the consequences are Mm -hmm. um and they're going to just keep going along this whole this whole thing so it's a confusing time. It's a hard time. It's, it's a it's, triggering time, too. It's a very triggering time. Right. If you've been in an abusive relationship and you're having to, like, be in this abusive relationship from a distance and have the entire, like, 
narrative handed to you constantly. So you're locked in your house, you're looking at your phone, and you can't escape it, you can't avoid it, and then you see people normalize just batshit crazy things. Like, Mm -hmm. right now, armed white supremacists are storming into into state houses. Yeah, this is a part of this that is, like, really mind-blowing to me. That I... I mean, I think in hindsight now, I'm like, well, we probably could have predicted that this was going to happen. Um, But it's also... uh, a really alarming part of it i mean you just knew things that were going to be ugly when it comes to collapse you know it's going to get ugly i just thought it would revolve more around like sort of unrest and uprisings around uh protesting rent and mortgage and food shortages and sort of from that perspective but and again i think now in hindsight we could have probably predicted it's actually this like fascist component that saw the doorway open and Mm -hmm. has immediately jumped on it yeah and in part, I think that's because of that. I think it was, there were rent strikes, there are all these things. And I mean, and I, I'm, I'm done with it. I know Natasha and I have talked about this extensively. Like, anytime people are like, well, I kind of get it. I get what this happening. He's like, don't fucking do that. Mm-hmm. Don't play that game. Mm-hmm. Like, work doesn't mean anything. Work is, is just about uh, aligning your value with production. Like, Right, like people who are sympathizing, like, well, I understand it's frightening or it's alarming to be out of work and we all have to feed our families and that kind of thing. Yeah. But that's really not what's happening here. Yeah, we. Can, I mean, it's like you don't have to, like, give room. And I think people have gotten to this point where it's just like, I mean, this really is this liberal tendency that's crept out further and further to be like, well, I understand. I understand what's happening. And it's like, no, it's one thing to be like, I understand it's scary. I understand, like changes needed to happen and those changes are terrifying i understand that this is exposing the vulnerabilities of a globalized techno-industrial civilization that leaves you with no skills or abilities and subsistence uh i understand all those things i don't understand armed white supremacists and we know they're being astroturfed we know we know they're being funded right so it's not it's not like i mean i think that we are seeing the other type of unrest and uprising too that people are saying we need to be paid more and we need the conditions to be safer and we need to um we need those rents you know we can't pay rent and all these things are also happening unfortunately the limelight is on this like fascist component right now but this is part of the narcissist thing too this is part Mm -hmm. of how narcissist gaslights is they always create this brain melting chaotic situation that you can't possibly grasp grapple with Right. There's too many moving parts. It scrambles your brain. It really does make you feel uh, just completely upside down. Yeah, they're like, oh, and now there's that thing, too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's all these things. Like, okay, all right. And it's all just, I mean, the, and it, you don't even get the chance to, like, stop and focus on the fact that, like, these armed white supremacists are, like, the embodiment of white fragility. Like, they they have tiny little improperly worn military equipment. I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> What did you think I was going to say? Tiny little dot, dot, dot. Uh, you know. We, we don't need know. need body shame. <laughs> <laughs> but we can probably assume. But, uh, <laughs> like, they're not wearing leg armor. They're not wearing helmets for the most part. Like, they're just, it's paramilitary cosplay. Like, right. that's all there is to it. It's like mm-hmm. this insane paramilitary cosplay. Um, which, by the way, I probably should, we probably should read it on the podcast. I don't think we're necessarily read on this one. I don't think, I think I found it after the last podcast. Uh, there's this comic book artist, Nate Powell, who's done a lot of really great mm, stuff. So good. He did this, um, this one like thing that's online. I don't even know if it's printed anywhere, but it's a, like a graphic version of, uh, it's called about face, but it's like a graphic version of the guide to 
the paramilitary cosplay kind of stuff mm-hmm. that um and the history behind that the history behind it and the history behind like infantilism and like the dress-up play that goes into like when people get infatuated with the army but also the paramilitary component of colonialism of imperialism of like the ongoing everyday militarization of civilization and the militarization mm-hmm. that comes alongside civilization and like this infatuation with it so it's like you know the military is all like the shaved thing this childish kind of thing but then the paramilitary stuff um is you know beards and trying to like look a certain way and uh-huh. you get your punisher thing and you get your whole bootlicker flag mm-hmm. assembly um check that out uh nate powell about face it's it's i guess we could put the link um i guess somewhere <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a way to get out we'll there but it's way. it's really good is mm-hmm. it i thought it was a really good takedown and i think that uh to understand what we're seeing right now even though on the face of it it is unquestionably a parade of white supremacy like the whole thing is by obfuscating the underlying elements of it and uh i've mentioned a number of times like greg gandon's end of the myth and daniel Immerwar's how to hide an empire uh, being two of my favorite books from last year. But like, if you really want to understand this like white supremacist underlying view and, and basically the ex- American exceptionalism and the fragility of it and the way that this whole situation could unfold the way it did, like those those kind of those books and that, that graphic novel or whatever you want to call it, it's like it's not exactly a comic strip. Uh-huh. But online comic, I don't know. Uh, all those things tie together. I think to, really fill out the back line of, of all the things we're talking about, all the things we're discussing and how it, how it got where it is and how insidious it really is mm-hmm. and how horribly the table was set for an absolute narcissist like Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people have pointed out that this whole pandemic is highlighting problems and issues that were already there in our society and in our civilization. And of course, that is absolutely true. Yeah. It's like so many of these pieces were already laid and those puzzle pieces were there. And now as everything is reshuffling, there are pieces that are just sliding together and becoming stronger. Yeah. So I'm going to read through this thing real quick. Uh, that was kind of my, my thread about uh, from March 20th about the whole coronavirus and kind of my predictions of it as somebody who's been looking at collapse for the last 20 years and mm-hmm. where I see it in that. So this was taking way before there was... Um, white people standing there with guns demanding that uh, Bass Pro Shops be reopened or whatever. Like, what, what all the the things that we've been seeing. Uh, so I, I do have the first line here. First off, the situation is unprecedented, which does deserve an asterisk, which I'll get back to. Uh, but anyways, let me read through this. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, First off, the situation is unprecedented. Elements of it are not, but they have not been brought together on this scale and with this intensity. That said, it was absolutely predictable, and if anyone said otherwise, they're lying. Governments and corporations think short-term. You have to look past that. Secondly, just because disasters are used to expand state power and contract movements doesn't mean that the disease is a conspiracy, which is something that I, I don't think we can say enough about. Like That's the other part about having resistance to a narcissist is that Trump can say everything from every angle. It's like, uh, Mm -hmm. this is a fake virus that China has put out that is actually killing people. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's not killing anybody to open the stores but shut down the borders. Right. 
Like, if you're having resistance based on resisting everything a narcissist says, you'll be as confused as the resistance or the, I don't even know, understanding of what is happening right now is, which has people that we would have otherwise thought would be reasonable be absolutely idiotic. Well, and as you're reading this, I'm thinking, like, it is true that this is shifting power, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we can definitely say that governments seem to be using this to lock everything down tighter. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But that doesn't, still doesn't mean that the whole thing was a hoax. Yes. Because, in, I mean, I think now that we're talking about it, we can probably say that civilization presents itself as a narcissist, right? So, like, no matter what's happening, it's constantly, the system that is civilization is constantly... Um, responding in whatever way it needs to to keep us locked in. Yes. So even though the the pandemic the pandemic doesn't have to be a hoax for world governments to use it to lock everything down tighter. So that the whole thing doesn't have to be a hoax to make what's happening happen. Yeah. And you saw this with everything. I mean, right. This happened in Katrina. It happened all the time. I mean, like Naomi Klein's shock doctrine when that book came out. That was that was big for a lot of people who hadn't seen this aspect of. Um, history particularly within capitalism like they don't care like first off right if we've gotten to this point if you're listening to this podcast i hope this isn't news for you but it's a good thing to be reminded people in power don't give a fuck about you no treat them as narcissists understand them as narcissists they have no empathy they're, they're not your friend they're not your friend like, they're not your mother they're not your father they're not your friend they're yeah. not looking out for your best interest they have no allegiance to anything. They are looking out for completely different interests. And also, they're not a coherent group. Like, at all. They, no. They, they will stab each other in the back a million times. They're all about power. They're opportunistic. Uh, they're predatory as fuck. But they're not your friend. No. We'll, we'll get through that a bit more. But, yeah, that's, that's all important to know. Um, and just another part of the way that this whole thing is exhausting is seeing people otherwise rational who are just there's a conspiracy here it's like no no there, there doesn't need to be there doesn't need that's the thing there doesn't need to be a conspiracy for to have the result that we're having yeah. which is this uh intensified lockdown and more government control and that kind of thing it didn't have to start as a conspiracy to lead where it, ha it has led which also goes to this next line it's not beyond governments to use disease for control, obviously, but that doesn't mean it's a hoax, nor does it change the flow of a virus once it's out, which is something that I think people need to be thinking about a lot more right now. Is if you're understanding social distancing, if you really want to understand what genocide looks like, it is not just about murder, and it's not just about, like, you know, this whole, like, virgin soil thing that goes about for understanding genocide of Native Americans. Um, you're looking at 50% to 95% die-offs, between communities and as a population as a whole uh it's insane like you you should be getting furious about this aspect the more we're seeing the more we're supposed to be living through this life of like social distancing and keeping away from each other not spreading disease and removing hand-to-hand -hand contact or person-to-person -person contact a part of the clearing of this continent the part of the clearing of this land involved intentionally giving diseases to indigenous populations after they had been embattled and while they're being removed from their subsistence base, removed from everything they've known, removed from the cosmology and the world that they've lived within, the community they lived within, and then being thrown into mission camps and reservations and prisons. 
So it's this like, is not the first time it, viruses have been used to control populations of people. No. Or decimate them, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's not beyond them, but at the same time, it's like, that didn't change the fact that smallpox, like, will kill people. Once the disease is out there, and this is what happened with the Yanami I talked about on the podcast before, um, when uh, James Neal and uh, Napoleon Chagnon, which I don't, I don't even think I got the chance to say, Napoleon Chagnon fucking dead. Good news. I think since the last podcast, Napoleon Chagnon, who's a scumbag, uh, who wrote Yanami, uh, wrote uh, ethnographies about the Yanami that people read everywhere in schools called The Fierce People. Uh, he was part of injecting those measles too, and then just writing about them as though he had found this this society that had never encountered civilization, never encountered anything before, and the violence and warfare he saw was totally unrelated and had totally naturalized the kind of things that like scumbags like Steven Pinker would be talking about <clears throat> now. Um, but they injected people with measles, and then it, it just it threw a bunch of steel tools into these communities and weapons in these communities. And I was like, now let's see what happens and let's right. write about it. So just to clarify, we're saying that a cons- it doesn't necessarily have to be a conspiracy. We don't have to call it a conspiracy because we know this happens. Yes. It's a fact. It's just a fact. Yes. It also doesn't mean that any world government created this virus or put it out. It just means that everyone now who is in power is acting as an opportunist to use this virus to gain more control and the virus regardless of intent regardless of how it came about regardless of how it got anywhere is still potentially fatal right i think to go down the road of calling it a conspiracy is almost taking away from the impact of what is actually happening because we know that this has happened before it's not a conspiracy that governments and people in power have used viruses in the past to control people and gain more control. Yeah. So we don't want to go down the conspiracy road. No. And also like we don't want to call it a conspiracy. We don't want to we don't want to travel that road. It's not, taking away from the fact that it has actually absolutely happened. Yes. And we're not interested in any of this. It's like we're right. still we're stuck with it right now. And also didn't come from 5G. 5G can be horrible on its own. It doesn't mean that it created this. It doesn't give you a lung infection. Right. For example, but yeah so uh anyways uh i've written three books so i'll defer to them in regards in terms of extensive takes on collapse which i do have those three books available through blackandgreenpress.org uh here's a quick takeaway collapse does not mean here one minute gone the next collapse is a process of simplification for societies and symptoms i'm sorry systems it can be big or small but we are talking about a globalized civilization that is technologically dependent and mostly about upkeep and logistics. We're not talk- just talking about big. We're talking about the biggest. That said, it doesn't mean it's lights off unilaterally one day, just that they will inevitably go out. A lot of collapse theory focuses on single causation, which is ridiculous. I recommend Joseph Tainer's Collapse of Complex Societies, which, focusing on, which focuses on diminishing returns. Effectively, collapse and things like peak oil don't mean getting to zero, but when cost outweighs production. But I'm sorry, but when cost outweighs production, uh, civilization, the culture of cities, is based off a of mathematical impossibility: infinite growth on finite resources. All civilizations and empires collapse, but in a smaller world, 
Some remains could be eaten or absorbed by other Imperial forces. Globalization undoes all of that. Disregard that chump Jared Diamond pick up Brian Fagan. Paraphrasing floods, famines, and emperors, climate change, war, and famines don't cause collapse alone, but the combination set the stage for politicians to do them in. Inevitably, politicians lying don't feed mouths. Always remember, quote, Those who claim they control the cosmos and the future of civilization survive only so long as they are able to command the loyalty of their subjects. Brian Fagan. Bang a quote. I love that quote. Mm -hmm. I put it on the back of a shirt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That said, pandemics and disease clearly can play a huge role in collapse. And this one has been well underway for some time. The 2008 recession slowed it. Tolerance for a $100 per barrel oil brought fracking. There have been lifelines that have worsened the ecological onslaught. And due to that, the Anthropocene has ushered in the end of the Holocene, destabilizing a climate where agriculture works. More droughts and floods, you had the Arab Spring because of low crop yields, and things have tumbled into unending war and massive exodus of populations. We are nomadic hunter-gatherers in heart, mind, and body. Our reaction to being cornered is to move. That's why we have fission-fusion societies. It's conflict resolution, community building, and ecological functioning all in one. Egalitarianism lives in our primal anarchy. Empires tremble, we leave. Crops fail, move on. The history of humans since civilization has an underside to all the colonial and imperial expansion and hegemonic restriction that is all desertion, mutiny, revolt, disruption, sabotage, and outright resistance. It is in our genes. We aren't domesticated. We are captive. The domestication process is always incomplete because it must tear apart and fight who we are. It's concrete and steel, steel, prayer and ballot, walls and malls, soldiers and citizens. Abusive relationships work by making it complicit. So how does all this play into coronavirus? Mass society has always been a petri dish for disease. That comes with sedentism. That comes with livestock and enclosed living. Not all diseases lead to pandemics, but a pandemic is really a showstopper, so to speak. We're living it. A more stable empire could take the blow, but remember that the world is both burning, flooding, and drying at levels unseen in a climate that could support farming. Wars have been consistently raging for decades. Cheap oil has tipped. The camel's back was broken long ago. Nativist and xenophobic drum pounding happens because the imperialist world demands resources from places and people the more militarized nations feel entitled to. There is no calm before the storm. It's just storm and more storm. Pathetically, also more storm front and fascism. Does anyone think Trump was going to be the one to weather the storm? Of course not. The world was already burning before him. He's a symptom of it himself. We're not smarter or more perhaps because we have been better apps than Rome did. All empires burn. Some are just faster. In terms of collapse, a a pandemic itself is not the thing to watch. There are 8 billion people on this planet, and we've got the greatest wealth disparity since the invention of property. Governments aren't afraid of people dying. They fear breaks in production. That's all that matters. This is where we're at. A global pandemic, nations on lockdown, businesses restricted, debts not being paid. If the state is just its military, lockdowns make the most sense. But production is the core, so breaks in consumption halt the machine. And this is what we're seeing right now. Like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's important to point out that this isn't just about accumulated wealth. Economics are imposed values. Money is wealth because they say it is, and we believe it. There is a ton of crap in a capitalist world. We could talk about wealth redistribution all day, but we all eat. When the food supply was globalized and run through a chain of international logistics, when the IMF and World Bank forced reductions in agricultural diversity, when tech giants automated farming, well... That sealed the fate of civilization. We need to eat. 
Just because so little of the population is involved in food production doesn't negate its importance or indicate its simplicity. All empires die of hubris in the end. But the food system is technologically dependent and intertwined with all the same old consumer pipelines. In the House of Cards, these are the ones to watch. Food supply, fuel production, distribution networks. As Fagan indicates, if things are teetering, then pulling on any of those can collapse the rest. In an integrated capital power vacuum, nothing is extricable from others. This is why the coronavirus pandemic is unique and unprecedented. Never before has so much been so immediately impacted and put on hold. Never has so much power been held by so few in such fragile hands. Most collapse scenarios rely on hits to infrastructure. All that ties directly to economy, but infrastructure is more concrete. And that is why a pandemic is such a threat. Remove production and the systems necessary to sustain power take the hit. Work is infrastructure. That's what makes this so hard to predict. Collapse generally is, and those who are watching it are just looking at the best ways to sustain themselves and profit off the chaos. They aren't a guide to use. Past collapse is more telling. At what point do people stop believing the lies of government? The disease itself is a threat on a personal level, which is how we, a social animal, see it. That's why we're afraid and confused. That's why we should be afraid and confused. We're concerned about sustaining life. They're concerned about sustaining control. Those are innately different things. In terms of collapse, the pandemic is a massive disruption. It doesn't mean that civilization won't survive it, but it won't survive it unscathed. The core is shaken, and the ripples will continue to spread out and amplify other hostilities. That includes the potential for revolt, which it should. In terms of studying past collapse, there is pr this is my primary takeaway. Don't trust governments and corporations, ever. Don't expect any system to bail you out. They won't. All fixes are temporary to keep order moving. They don't care about you, any of them. In any survival situation, the thing that will surely kill you is a false hope that rescue is coming. It might today and not tomorrow. At this point, no one knows what is going on. Politicians are politicking. Corporations are cashing in. It's not good. It's unprecedented. It's vital to look at this with open eyes and be prepared to move. Practice mutual aid and start thinking outside your bug out bags. They call martial law. They may not. I'm sorry. They may call martial law. They may not. But at any point, just be prepared to leave. I know that induces anxiety, and I say so from experience. If it doesn't, it should. I get that it's easy to get pissed when I say be prepared to move, but when things fall apart, it's literally the only option you are left with. Our lineage is mostly refugees. What I'm not saying is that coronavirus is the final straw. What I am saying is that it's more, in a, it's more tender in a world on fire. We do not know what it could be, but we do, know no, if we, we do nothing for anyone to pretend it's something other than what it is. Unprecedented. And absolute normal is gone. And since writing that, I mean, how many politicians have said now normal is gone? Cuomo's saying it. Mm -hmm. uh, like, this is something that is, is being understood and established. And it's going to increasingly get worse. I mean, all the things that were promised uh, with the stimulus plans or, or anything like that, obviously none of it's panning out. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just flash in the pan. Most of it lies. Most of it was never mm -hmm. going to happen. Uh, and, of course, we know, too. Uh, and this, who knows what's going to happen next week. So this is the hard part about even talking about it. Right. Um, the rush to reopen the economy, uh, to reopen all the stores aside from feeding white fragility and, and easing the reactions of having to tell white people no, um, is nobody's going to have the money mm -hmm. to be supporting all these businesses. Mm -hmm. They're going to immediately start cutting hours and cutting people. Uh, I mean, it's all just optics. It's all just to say, like, 
well, you were fired for this reason and not that, so they don't have to give up unemployment. I mean... I mean, I think part of the problem is, like, in this instance, we are... I think at this point, um, a lot of people are just saying, wow, there isn't even anyone trying to promise that they're going to save us. Like, there was a little bit of talk about sending people money, and some people have gotten money and some people haven't, and so there was, like, this little tiny sense of like okay well maybe somebody's gonna save us right maybe somebody's gonna do something and it's gonna be okay but as the process is going along because of the leadership that we have in this country i think that's even falling away so then that's total panic i think that makes everyone feel panicked it's like well there's not even the facade of somebody saying we're gonna take care of this and you're gonna be fine it's just sort of like a well we don't really know what to tell you so i think I mean, I do think that people generally are just panicking a little bit. Like, well, when are these stores going to open? And how is the economy going to keep going? And what is going to happen to life as we know it? You know, when are all those things going to come back to normal? And I think at this point, we really have to look at each other and say, it really might not go back to normal. It shouldn't. And it shouldn't. What's more is it shouldn't. So then if we work from that point, if we say, wow, this really might not go back to normal. We don't have an infrastructure really that can recover from this. But people so badly want that to happen because it's so frightening what is happening, that there's there's nobody to save us from this. It's a it's really like an existential kind of terror. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's really important to talk about the idea of mutual aid, which you brought up in um, that piece of writing, and really start to just hone in on what that means, especially... Um, in a world where there is also a virus on top of everything else, and sometimes it is not safe for us to go near one another in a physical way. Yeah, and I just wanted to throw out there, too, um, there are a lot of groups that are doing really awesome work. Absolutely. Um, and hopefully we'll have more about this this week, mm-hmm. uh, or very soon. But uh, there's a group called Indigenous Mutual Aid. Uh, there's a website, indigenousmutualaid.org. Uh, so the the whole thing about this is basically like the bottom line of it is what we're seeing is the instability of civilization, the fragility of civilization. Absolutely. I mean, the top of it, like the sprinkles on top is white fragility. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, don't you dare tell someone they can't get their nails done, dude. Like, right. don't you dare. You'll see an uproar of cosplay. I mean, we're seeing things that are in some degrees kind of funny. But... Like, <laughs> The, the other side of it is that, like, all the hostilities, all the systemic hostilities that are implicit within civilization, built within civilization, are all amplified. It is no question that uh, anybody doesn't have money. Anybody doesn't have, like, we're fighting most of the population of the, probably the entire world was a paycheck or two away from being completely destitute. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's hanging by a thread. And, so- the, and the less money you have, the more you can say that clearly i mean people who have lived without money for their whole lives i mean they'll tell you straight up like this is flimsy yeah but also it's the thing it's like this is the other thing we've been saying stop looking at civilization from the perspective of somebody who is two paychecks ahead like that's not most of the world and also that's not very never i've never had that my entire life literally from birth to now it's always hand to mouth what that's the that is the socioeconomic space that I come from. That's where my family comes from. So, like, to expect that for 
I don't know to put to try. It's like this idea of being complicit, right? Like, yeah. well, you should have worked harder. You should have pulled yourselves up harder by your bootstraps. You should have. Hey yeah, it's absolutely not about that. Yeah, it's completely systemic. Yeah, but I mean, that's of course keeping you in that survival situation. It's like, well, what more can I do? I don't have more time. I don't have more energy. I don't have anything to do anything more about it. But then, like, why is civilization still here? Like, if all these people are in this situation, I mean, it's just like one of the things that's the eternal question, but we know. I mean, like, at the same time, it's like, I, I can say it, I can be frustrated and shit about it, but, like, we know the pathologies of civilization. We know the pathologies of abuse. We know the patterns of domestication are to keep you from looking at any other narrative and to keep you terrified and alone and feeling like the only value you have is in your labor and how you produce exactly. the economy and what you buy and what you own is how you identify yourself. Right. We've reduced everybody. We're like, oh, we've we've conquered it. We're not animals anymore. It's like, we're way worse. We're way worse now. Like, yeah. we're just reduced to nothing. And, like, the people who have struggled the most to sustain ways of life that are counter to that narrative are the people being impacted the most. Uh, so, in particular, like, talking about indigenous action, uh, there's a, a page right now, or um, indigenousmutualaid.org, uh, that's talking about the uh, the Navajo reservations have the absolute highest rates of infection and I think the absolute highest death rates as well. I mean, there's places, there's no running water, there's nothing, there's no resources, and like right. these things came in and they're just like what's happening is, is atrocious and it's just a follow up continuation of colonialism. Like if you want to believe any of this stuff is historic. This is the counterpoint to This it. is the march of colonialism. This, this is, is the present absolutely. day appearance. This is how it appears in present day. Yeah, and there's like indigenous action. Um, I know I'll give them shouts out. I'll, I'll give them a million shouts out. Like they're a badass group. This is a, an indigenous anarchist group that is doing the absolute important work. Uh, so, I don't know. Let's pick a date. I don't know. So May 10th, I think, or whatever. We'll probably carry it on. We'll just go keep farther. Yeah. Um, we'll like just see how it rolls. 15%. As long as we can, let's say. As long as we can. 15% yeah. of all orders through Black and Green Press will pass on to uh, Indigenous Mutual Aid, and we hope that people kick into Indigenous Action and Indigenous Mutual Aid. And, like, this is really important. This is the, the mutual aid work. This is, mm. the, this is the actual praxis that can be done and should be done. But, again... What all this is doing is exposing the fragility of power. It's exposing the fragility of the system. And, like, the reactions that you'll see are people just kind of, like, constantly just kicking the dirt around so that it just looks like smoke. Um, it's anything but. It's also really um, bringing to light that colonialism is still alive and well. I mean, when we're talking about colonialism, we're not talking about a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago we're talking about that's what's happening right this minute yeah that's where this restructuring of power is happening that's it's the whole idea of using viruses to deplete populations of people so that you can exert more control over them i mean it's just the march of colonialism which is really why we do what we do and especially the research that you're doing right now around um religion and missionaries and that kind of thing mm -hmm. is the point we're trying to make is we are still immersed in this process right now. It's not a historical subject. No. It, it's happening right now. That means the resistance that's happening all over the place, luckily, I mean, thank God, all around the world, like, that's happening in response to colonialism that's happening currently. Yeah. We're currently locked in this battle. Yeah. And, I mean, 
all the things that are happening are like a cover. I mean, you can take this any direction. I mean, so like talking about peak oil and stuff like that, I think people are going to be like, well, blah, blah, oil traded negative for like the first time, I think, in a long time for sure. Uh, because people aren't driving because a lot of the economy is shut down because people aren't going out. Then like right now, oil has been sitting and, and for uh, the end of April, oil traded at a negative price. Uh, that doesn't mean that peak oil is done. I mean, people need to know it's like there's blips and ups and downs. For sure. But the oil industry got the bailout. And the economics of something like fracking, I know I've talked about this before as well. And I also have an essay. Um, I think it's in Black and Green Review number five. But it's also in my book, Gathered Remains, called The Ecology of a Bubble. I do have it online. And it's just like the shell game that is fracking. Fracking is made possible only so long as oil trades over so much per barrel. Uh, the the whole way in which the economics economics of it work are smoke and mirrors. But even for smoke and mirrors, they're very fragile. So even as oil is trading negative per barrel, um, they are still considering pipeline construction essential. And so all these pipelines are still going on, even when everybody else is in lockdown. And uh, there's... there's a ton going on, particularly at the West Wetton. Uh that's just insane. And uh Ken Oss from the Tiny House Warriors and had posted some videos, like mm-hmm. the man camps are still very much active. And I've talked about man camps in past podcasts before. It's something that people need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. These are camps of men working at um pipeline construction sites in conjunction with native territories mm-hmm. and like reservations. Uh, and there are laws and loopholes all throughout so that, like, one of the biggest pandemics of colonialism is the assault on indigenous women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the missing and murdered indigenous women is a massive thing. But, like, the uh, there's a, a bit I ran, I don't remember how many episodes it with, ago with uh, Patty Stonefish, and she was talking about the loopholes that man camps can exploit where if a native woman is raped by a man camp worker. Like as long as the man camp is like, as long as it's, I think it's like five miles away and there's no tie, like there's actually no way to even hold charges against somebody. It's like, it's like, it's not even mm. illegal at all to rape and destroy native women. Mm. I mean like, and that's considered essential. This is still going on. We can't also recently, um, in the middle of the lockdown, had a bunch of drunk white dudes come over from one of the man camps. They stole a truck and ran into her tiny home and just sitting there threatening them. Like, nobody, nobody's stopping any of this yeah. stuff. Like, the, the core of all this is that this is the fragility of it. And even when it's at its most fragile, the interest in maintaining this order and maintaining the infrastructure overrides the, econ- the economics of it. It doesn't have to make sense. Mm-hmm. It's just this, like, massive colonial power play, and that's how it plays out. I think kind of the scary thing is that, I mean, for anybody who's ever tried to leave an abusive relationship, like, um, you have to be very careful, right? Mm-hmm. When you're leaving an abusive relationship, and a lot of times, like, if you're working with a therapist or somebody to help you get to safety, like, you can't let the abuser know that you're trying to leave, or that becomes an even more dangerous situation for you. It's like when the, um, the abuser, the person of power, or the whatever powers that be sense that there is unrest and that they may be like losing their, um, 
whatever you want to call it, whatever you are, the abused. When Mm -hmm. the abused is starting to um, get ready to leave, like, that is a vastly more dangerous situation. Um, So I think as things start to teeter and there's more people, you know, speaking out and saying, what's going on here, you know, and some of this is coming to attention, like, it becomes more and more dangerous because the, the people in power, they don't want to lose that power. No. And then the, and then it just it's a really dangerous feedback loop. Yeah. And it just creates this muck and mire that we're all in. Yeah, and which it's... makes it hard because like even as much as we want things to be different, it's almost like the harder we push, the harder that um that control comes down on us. Yeah. It's an exhausting time. It's very exhausting. Yeah, and everybody's like, I'm going to do all these things. It's like, it's not spring break. <laughs> it's not spring break. Yeah. And especially if you don't, if you have kids. Like, it's yeah. a vastly different thing. And it's really hard to explain to children, like, I mean, like, these are things we had to teach them in the first place. It kind of reminds me about, like, when you first have kids, it's like, you have to explain to them, like, they can't just drink water from a creek. Right. Like, that was already a hard thing. Now it's like, oh, here's new rules. Like, now you can't go close to people. That's a hard thing. It's like kids have these just sort of, like, natural inclinations to be how humans are as animals. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like so much of civilization is constantly, like, especially parenting and civilization, is, like, trying to teach them to go against their natural inclinations. So it's something like this. It's super super hard to know how to talk to them about it. Yeah. And so I did want to say that I did have, like, an asterisk on saying, like, this is unprecedented. And people were saying, well, this has happened here, 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 Mm -hmm. here. The consolidation of power in the way that things are right now, in a, in a technologically intertwined world, the way that it is, like, yeah, everything we do is unprecedented. Everything we do is on a different scale. Everything we do is on a different level. But, like, a global-wide lockdown or a global-wide stoppage of production um, on this level is unprecedented. A pandemic is not unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Um and people are, I mean, like, the, the kind of crazy thing about this, and I think from an anti-civ perspective is really interesting, uh, again, the arguments people make for civilization is like, well, we've got so much more now. Like, we know so much more. We're so much smarter. We've got all this science. We've got mm-hmm. all this knowledge. Uh, and the, the kind of prevailing myth that we have been telling ourselves about things like past pandemics is if we knew what we knew now, mm-hmm. it would never happen. It would have been but, so different. Yeah, the Black Death would have mm-hmm. never happened if they just knew to wash their ass. If they had <laughs> proper sanitation. And, well, we're all becoming podcast hosts and experts on all past pandemics now because we're sitting here looking at all this stuff and it's like, oh, shit. Like, they actually knew what they were doing in a lot of the cases. Like, the sanitation wasn't great in some places, but they were, we know? They like, were doing some of the same things that we're doing now. Yeah, there's... The lockdown type, types of things and sanitation and all that. The I mean, there was awareness of it. Yeah. yeah, there's, like, things that they were doing. They were do, they're actually doing a lot better than we are. And people were just, like, they didn't have the entitlement that uh, white Americans have above all else, which is, like, don't tell me I can't do this. Um, you know, I'm sure they had equivalents of people going to mega churches on Easter and saying that the blood of Christ protects them. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) but like all the things that were like oh if they had done this if we had been in that position we would do so much better it's like "Mm." no 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 like i actually heard um somebody working at uh, a whole foods told me 
that like a customer got pissed off because they they weren't providing enough service to their customers. Some entitled customers like, oh, you're not doing enough for me. And they, they straight up just coughed on the employee. Yeah. It's like, oh, you can't do that. But I mean, at the same time, it's like what all the Proud Boys and all these, I mean, all uh, the irony is all the things people have been saying about uh, anybody's against civilization or anybody's against colonialism and imperialism. It's like, oh, they're terrorists and they're out to try and do this. Like Antifa is uh, out to destroy hospitals and shit like that. It's like Proud Boys are blocking hospitals. Like, we're actually seeing fascists argue with nurses. Right. Like, in the streets. Like, all these things. It really doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I do appreciate that people are like, oh, I guess the whole bootlicker thing was just like, we're actually just white supremacists. We don't need the cops now. We'll cough in the cops' face. They're not going to really do anything. You can storm a, if you're white enough, you can storm a state house with guns and demand the head of the. Yep, you can just walk right in. Welcome in, boys. Uh, would I, you like a wildlife <laughs> refuge? We have a few. <laughs> I do think it's a little bit hard to know how to feel about things right now. And I I mean, I think there's been pretty good awareness now, like on social media and elsewhere, um, talking about, you know, people's mental health and how we're all feeling right now. Because um, on one hand, I mean, I do think it's wonderful to have extra time in a way, right? Like we're spending more time with our families and we're spending more time at home, but it's it's like the difference between when you choose to ride your bicycle every day to work because that's something that you're choosing to do and when you have to ride your bicycle to work because your car broke down and you weren't expecting it and you don't have the money to fix it and now you're riding your bicycle to work. It, those are two very different things. Um, you don't have your fresh kit. No, yeah, those are two very different things like for your for your mental health and your emotions and that kind of thing. So like, yeah, we're spending more time with our families right now and we're at home, but it is imposed upon us. So yeah. like that is a very kind of hard thing to reconcile. And then there's there's a lot of fear going on there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of all of these different things and i think there is more awareness about sort of like being gentle with ourselves right everybody's Mm. saying and like allow yourself to feel how you're feeling and if you're feeling scared like allow yourself to feel that way and don't feel like like, you have to um be so productive during this time but i do still feel like there is some pressure to be productive Mm -hmm. and those of us with kids a lot of us are now homeschooling for the maybe the first time or doing this like weird hybrid of distance homeschooling and so there are all these pressures and now there's an added pressure to like reopen I feel like that there's if you're not kind of like setting your sights to when this reopening is happening you know that's sort of taboo so I think there's a real cocktail cocktail of emotions going on in all of us right now and we really need to talk about that yes it's it's very difficult it's a very difficult time yeah, and there are like high points and there are good moments and there are also really, really low moments that everyone's having just because it's so many changes so quickly. And I mean, as much as like we can say we don't like you and I don't like understand what it's like for a 20 year old by them, like by themselves or living with roommates and stuff like that. It's like we all it goes both ways. Like we can't relate to it, but we also don't understand it. Like if, right. you, if you got nothing. I mean, like, there's a good chance when people start coming out of lockdown, there's going to be the fun. a lot of people just already died at home. I mean, there's already a lot of things that are happening like that because it's like, I, I did get a test. I did have to go through all that. I mean, it was a terrifying kind of ordeal mm-hmm. of, you know, being really sick. I, I mean, I couldn't breathe right. for, for months. Um, my lung capacity is still shit. I'm immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. Um like, trying to figure out how to get the test and, and actually getting the test and trying to figure all these things out. And they're like, well, if you go to the hospital, but then don't go to the hospital. Like, it was it's a very confusing time. 
it was a very stressful situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people who are saying, like, I'm not going to go to the hospital because it's too scary and I'm dying of a disease. But also, like, I, I don't think we're going to have any grasp on the suicide rate related to this until, like, people start noticing other people have are not showing up and things mm-hmm. like that. And, I mean, even, even stuff like the trauma that people are going to be having just because there's box trucks sitting in New York City outside of funeral homes and riding corpses. Like, they just can't keep up with it. Um, you know, all these things are triggering. All these things are going to be causing a lot of problems. And then, of course, if you're just... If you just barely got out of an abusive relationship uh, with a narcissist and the, everything is being determined by a narcissist and broadcast to you about it, like, mm-hmm. it's hard to deal with that. Um, so, I mean... There's a lot more discussions I think need to happen about that and, and from an anti-sim perspective in general. Um, but, like, this is really going to be fast-forwarding, and I think that that's going to be something that this weird kind of reopening stage, when it does happen, that's going to continually be more and more uneven-handed and be causing people to jump out. I mean, already, I guess, with Georgia immediately opened up, cases started going up immediately, which there's... Yeah, I mean, I get the sense, and I think we're all starting to get the sense that this isn't going to be resolved very quickly. And so that's a whole, like, we were all kind of in the survival mode, but now this is a a totally different section, a totally different chapter where we're going, well, in some capacity, this whole thing is going to be around for a while, so now what does life look like? And I think when we're talking about mutual aid, that is absolutely um there's a lot of physicality to that right like making Mm -hmm. sure that we all have what we need or that the people close to us have what we need and that we are eating and that we have water and that our electricity is on and that we have a home to live in and that kind of thing and those things are all very important but on a really simple level it's just emotional connection saying like are you okay today are you like checking in with people just talking really openly about how you're feeling because I mean, so much of our culture just pushes us forward. It's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe that was a hard time, but let's keep going. We Mm -hmm. got to get back up. We have to keep going. We have to keep trucking along. And I can think of nothing that feels worse than feeling uncertain or frightened or some kind of way inside and feeling pressure to just keep going like everything's fine. That is absolutely a terrible feeling. Yeah. So um, I think going forward, just maybe learning to talk to one another in a different way is really important. Yeah, and also, I mean, like, one of the big things about civilization is individuating. Mm-hmm. Like, you're supposed to deal with everything as an individual. What you do or do not do is because of your strengths and weaknesses as an individual. And, like, when we have something that's, like, a universal like this, it's really the equalizer mm, for a absolutely. lot of people. I mean, it's, like, the equalizer in terms of, like, like, class consciousness is pretty much dead in this country, and it had been since, like, industrialism. And the degrees of it that did exist are are minor in comparison, and they're... I mean, it's just basically, like, if you're a worker or working class in a post-consumer capitalist society, then, you know, class identity doesn't look the same as if everybody's working in a factory. It's just the bare right. necessities of right. capitalism and the stages it carries on. Like, class consciousness is tied to a certain kind of, of production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You know, I mean, uh, something I joked about with Soul the other day is, like, you know, people saying, well, we can collectivize Amazon. It's like, as soon as those words come out of your mouth, you should be like, these words mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, okay, all right, times right. have changed. This right. doesn't matter anymore. Uh, but this is this universal thing, and we are seeing that, like, um, I think within the first 
20 or 30 days of the lockdowns or whatever degree of lockdown or stay-at-home orders that were, uh, like, I think the, the richest people in America has made, America made like $283 million or something. Yeah, the Chaz well, was so actually, great. Well, actually, maybe it's billions. It's got to be billions. Cause I'd say billions. Yeah, Bezos yeah. alone made like $20 billion in like Absolutely billions, month. yes. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, there's something to be said for that. I mean, is it a basis for organization? Should it be a basis for organization? I mean, like, I think it should just be a bigger thing about saying it's like, take stock of where things are. Like, this this is what it is. This is mm-hmm. this is how what it is is what it's going to continue to be. Like, act on that and and get it out of your head that somebody's going to grow up. Right. That they're going to like be like, well, here you go. You're having a hard go at it. Here's a blanket. Yeah. There's nobody. There's nobody in a position of power that's going to arrive on the scene and fix it. Yeah. That's it, not what they're there for. And historically, we know if they give you a blanket, it's already infected. Ah, that's so true. Yeah. But uh, in terms of talking about it uh, and, and recontextualizing it, and I should have put this earlier in, um, I happen to know an excellent poet, an excellent writer, my favorite, in fact, who had written something that I found absolutely beautiful uh, to deal with kind of the chaos of our times in this moment. Would you like to read that? I would love to read it. Uh, so we called it Making Pancakes. It is a simple sweetness to lay head on chest with one you love while the spring air traces lazy patterns across coffee table and kitchen counter, ruffling the stacks of haphazardly piled bits of daily life suddenly put on pause. The children, in their sweet little masks and big eyes, wonder at the changes, but they, forever in the moment, have already left their crowded classrooms and rowdy playground games behind. You wave at your father across the lawn while you chat on the phone of small things and memories of relatives, everyone grown wistful as the days get longer and we are reminded that uncertainty is in our bones. That resiliency is only created by moments in time that test us in ways we wish they wouldn't. I wonder of those who've gone before us, who've seen the rise and fall of worlds, great and small, intricate and simple. What would they say of this? Would they advise that we stay here making pancakes and washing the dishes, while outside such tiny miracles swirl past us as to be undetected in each deep inhale? Or run, would they tell us, screaming, panicked, tearing their hair. Pack what you can carry on your back and go. Start again, far from the life you've known and the people who just recently held you together in bright times and in troubled, who held your baby while you rested your head on the chest of one you love while the spring air traced lazy patterns across coffee table and kitchen counter, ruffling the stacks of haphazardly piled bits of daily life suddenly put on pause. And the children, in their sweet little masks and big eyes, wonder at the changes, but they, forever in the moment, have already left their crowded classrooms and rowdy playground games behind. That was Kevin high-fiving me. (laughs) (laughs) For those that are not in this room. Um... Like, I, uh, just for some reason, a lot of my emotions end up coming out in poetry, and I do like to write other things, but when I'm feeling an emotion, often the way I'm able to express it is in some sort of, like, poetry form. Um, but one of the feelings that I struggle with the most, just as a person in a world that 
um, is filled with so much struggle and in this, you know, in this civilization that we live in is that you'll experience these horrible things or you'll hear these absolute terrible things, right? So, like, right now, the amount of people that are actually affected by this and dying is mind-blowing. It's it's horrible. It's heart-wrenching. And then the very next moment, because there's nothing really to do with that in the moment because of, like, the global scale that everything's on and the way that we live and the way that we're affected by things and just kind of this, like, frozen state that we end up getting into a lot of the time is, like, you'll hear this horrible thing or you'll experience this terrible moment or you'll hear about some sort of, like, just terrible atrocity and like literally just go to the kitchen and like make waffles and I talk about this all the time because it's one of the hardest things for me like I am action oriented if something happens I immediately want to do something to fix it and so much of what we live with all the time in the civilization is feeling all of these things and knowing that other people are suffering and that other beings are suffering and we just have to keep going so that's something I just struggle with all the time and it ends up coming out in a lot of my writing, but that's where the making pancakes part came from. It's like, we're hearing all these things. And part of you is like, do I pack up my shit and go? Like, is this it? Is this the moment to walk away from this? Is there a window here for us to leave the ruling class, smash the thrones and get out of here? Or do I go do the dishes and sit tight and hope that something else is going to happen? It's like this constant push and pull. And this is why you are not only my favorite writer, but I am so lucky to get these insights and hot takes all the time. I I did an episode before on my writing. You're too sweet. It's true. Uh, I did my I did an episode on my. Um, We're gonna get hate mail about love. <laughs> <laughs> it has happened. We actually have gotten, we have gotten hate mail. We have gotten hate We're gonna get more. You guys are like fucking teenagers in love. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> if you're going to send us hate mail about love, at least just put in the subject hate mail about love. There you go. We'll just categorize it. That'll make us more inclined to read it, I think. Um, make it a thing. Make it, we'll make it a thing. <laughs> like column. Um, but I did do uh, an episode about my, my writing process before, mm-hmm. and I think it'd be amazing to do yours because you have... You're, you're a fucking great writer. I mean, I'm already laughing when you're saying that, though, because I feel like every time somebody asks me about my writing process, this is literally my answer. Well, <laughs> I just kind of sit down, and then uh, it just sort of, like, comes from somewhere else. Yeah. That's my that's my literal actual response. Which I can attest to, as I've seen <laughs> it, as with making pancakes. I'm going to take a bath. Like, like my uh, actual foundation for how I feel about stories and writing is the movie Neverending Story. And I watched it a million times when I was a kid. And it hits closest to how I feel about writing. It's like, in my mind, I picture that there's this whole world of stories that are fully alive somewhere. Oops, I bumped the mic. And I'm 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 gesturing. She's mostly mostly, <laughs> I'm mostly arms. Hands. Yeah. So you there's this whole world of stories, and then I go to sit down to write something because I feel something, and somehow there's I'm suddenly accessing that world. Like I I kid you not, that's like what I picture. If you hop on Falcor and he takes you right to a tree. I hop right on Falcor. I scratch his ears, and I'm off. He's so fucked. <laughs> Except that horrible part where the horse dies. 
Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> a 35-year-old movie. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not kidding. It's like, I really feel like it's so tangible, right? Like, you're just kind of... It's some kind of connection where you're reaching this... You, like, stories are very tangible to me. I think that they feel the same way to you. It's like, they really exist, you know? They're yeah. an important force in the world, and so that's how that feels to me. I know it's true, but just as a fan. Um, uh, I, I don't even know if we mentioned earlier. I'm going to save some of this for the last because it's getting long. Yeah, um, we're, we're maxed out. We're maxing you out. Um, but... Uh, in, in talking about the Kickstarter, I should mention, I don't even know if I did, that the Kickstarter is for two books, which is the upcoming edition, the second edition of John Zerzan's Origins Reader. But of course, the biggest of it is Natasha Tucker's new book. Well, we don't want to say the biggest of it. I'm this is to. not a hierarchy situation. <laughs> I don't know. What am I most excited about? <laughs> Natasha's new book. Of course. <laughs> Rites of Passage. You know what I'm most excited about? Tegan. Tegan, Tegan White. There's some amazing cover art. Tegan motherfucking gotta... White. The art is incredible. Going on the cover. She is at, is she at, or they're at Tegan White on Instagram. Do you Look remember? Up Tegan White. Mm-hmm. If you find an artist that is exceptional, you have found the correct They Tegan. are exceptional. Tegan, and this one's for you. We are, that was a high five. For Tegan. Uh, we're so lucky that they agreed to... Um, drop some cover art for us for this so we're really excited and uh, some of that will be going out with the kickstarter correct yes bless you uh absolutely and yes it's an amazing cover that matches an absolutely incredible book uh and we're going to have more about that this week we're we're gonna do another episode to cover up some of this other stuff that we do not get to you. We got a lot to say. We've, yeah. been, we've been down for a while. Yeah, I think, we've been I think in a way, we've been wanting to put this Kickstarter out for so long, but it feels really relevant right now because a large portion of it is writing that I did while my mom was sick and when she passed away. And that two-year anniversary is coming up um, this Sunday on Mother's Day, the day that she passed away. So um, it feels like, for me, part of putting this out is, you know, memorial to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm kind of, as things go, I'm kind of happy that it kind of landed on this time period. I don't know if timing-wise it'll necessarily work out, but it'd be a good time to, to do some reading from that for that day. Well, why don't we set up another podcast? We will. So we don't, we'll discuss so it. So we don't tire out these dear listeners. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, but there's that. And then also, um, I did finally, finally put a, a, a bit of a write-up. Uh, I finally came to a conclusive name for my new book that I've been working on for forever now. Drum roll, please. <laughs> the Gospel of Empire. Beatboxing. <laughs> yeah. The Gospel of Empire. So I did decide uh, that we'll do the book in parts. Uh, it will end up being a massive book. And the thing about it is, is I don't want people to get a massive book how many years it's going to take me to finish it mm. and then be like okay this thing is like a reference book or something like that mm-hmm. and then a couple of lunatics will be like i'm reading it start to finish <laughs> because i'm driven and everybody else is going to say i'm going to dig through the index and pick bits of here mm. it is meant to be read as a story uh it does it does follow um a plot line it does follow all these different aspects it's written to be read from start to finish um mm-hmm. but 
there's really this divide between not wanting to hand something to people that is so big that they're not going to want to read it that way, mm. but also just the fact that, like, the issue of missionaries and colonization isn't one of going away um, at all. And again, it's it's a current subject. It's yeah. taking place currently in the world. This is not ancient history that we're talking about. Yeah. So it's like the, the books as they come out, will not be the entire arguments start to finish, but they're still comprehensive arguments in and of themselves. And there's a lot in them that absolutely needs to be out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, another thing that I have talked about a bit, I would like to talk about more is other ways I can get this information out. Uh, And I'm open to suggestions on it. Uh, I would like to be doing things like cataloging uh, attacks on missions and missionaries. Um, and getting that out there, but also really like developing that into something that's going to continue to show that this this isn't history. This isn't just this lineage, or that there is a lineage of resistance to civilization, particularly indigenous resistance to civilization, but it's not just like here and there. It's like there's a connection between pipeline resistance now and colonial infractions in, in the, the very beginning of the frontier. Mm. And this goes all throughout the world, and I mean, the same patterns are constant. I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. I'm going to continue talking about it, but I want to get this out there and also... I feel like that's so important because it's such a shift, like, in our own minds and the way we feel. Like, if you think... If you feel like you are an isolated person or group of people fighting against this giant behemoth, like, that feels so intimidating. But then if you shift your perspective and you see this unbroken line of people that have been doing that since the beginning of Mm -hmm. when this all started i mean doesn't that just shift something inside your mind immediately it does and conversely the way that people approach talking about genocide uh you know they're like well the holocaust was the holocaust and that's genocide Mm -hmm. uh and everything else wasn't in fact uh this anthropologist kim hill who i've railed on repeatedly on this podcast but also at the same time never enough uh his argument for the Aceh genocide uh, was that it wasn't genocide because if it was genocide for them, then it was genocide for all the indigenous societies, particularly in the Americas. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, and? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all genocide. No, no, right. that doesn't mean it's not genocide because it was so common. Like, genocide isn't notarized by its exclusivity. No. Uh, no. Yeah, it doesn't apply by the same rules as, like, Supreme. Yeah, no. Your clothing brand is like, no, it is universal. It is a massive thing. Um, I want to talk a lot more about that. I also want to talk more about, but I mean, I should should finish that thought. But like to to see that all these different aspects of genocide, to split them off and say that these are individual things are ways of, again, individualizing what is happening and individualizing the trauma and the, the historical trauma and the lived trauma within societies and how they interact with the world and how they're going to interact with the reality that we continue throwing at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also just really interested in like the, how, how having that validated changes the way that you view it and changes the way that you can understand it as a group versus as an individual. And in my case, like I grew up Jewish. Um, I grew up never for a second, not knowing like I barely removed from genocide, direct genocide and Holocaust. Um, but it was validated. It was mm-hmm. validated pretty much right up to the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. In which case, the relationship between being Jewish and being white has once again erupted in a world of Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it was it was historically known. It was, like, the 
it was the marker for genocide. Um, like I know what that means. I know what that means in terms of having some form of a cultural identity, and I can't I can't imagine uh, the impacts that or how it would be different had that been denied. Mm. But that's an important part of civilization. It's an important part of domestication. Is like you cannot find other people in your trauma, and you are feeling this alone. You're dealing with it the alone. isolation, the isolation, the separation. Alone. Yeah. Um, so like those are both the same sides of it. That's that's part of the story. It's part of all these stories that we're telling about civilization and domestication and abusive relationships and narcissists and all the various ways in which we're impacted by these things. Right. And it's important to really actually have that presently in our minds, that understanding as we go forward, because certainly um, there are a lot of lies going on right now being manufactured. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of like very quickly erasing what happened yesterday. It's like, Oh, well that didn't actually happen or this isn't actually happening. So I think we really need to just have our eyes wide open right now and really continue talking to each other and like validating what our experiences are right now. Cause there's a really fast turnover right, right now of truth and lies. Yeah. The only continuity in civilization's technological trajectory is the prevalence of gaslight. Yes. There's some hot gaslighting going on and we need to really understand that that's happening. Yeah. And we're like peak oil for that too. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. Um, but yeah, so we're going to go ahead and close up this episode. There's a lot that we wouldn't discuss. There's a lot more we're going to be talking about. Send us an email if you'd like to be part of the book club. I think that's going to be really fantastic to kind of meet different people in a different kind of way. Like get to see each other. Ish. And if for some reason you don't want to see, if you don't want to see us, but you just want to talk to us, just, you know, turn off your screen. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, join we'll the book club. It it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, but also we do have a lot of projects going on. There are a lot of ways. Black and Green really does need support. Um, like, everybody out there right now, small-time publishers, it's like, it's, it's hard. And there's a lot of things we want to be able to do, a lot of things that are coming up, and they're expensive and hard to do mm-hmm. and they take a lot of money and we're really putting ourselves into this and even though our output technically has been low for the past few months don't judge us don't judge us by our productivity don't no. judge us you'll see the it. past months you'll see it mm-hmm. um but yeah so uh there's patreon i have a patreon if you go to any of the web pages primalanarchy.org is the home for the podcast but blackandgreenpress.org KevinTucker.org, NatashaTucker.org, and mm-hmm. WildResistance.org are all individual facets of the project. Mm-hmm. If you go on any of those pages, you'll find the support stuff in all of them. There's PayPal, Venmo, and Patreon. Natasha will have a Patreon at some point. There, of course, mm-hmm. are. Um, and we do have some updating to do as far as the herbalist part of things goes for me. So yeah, we'll be working be on that. Um, and then do you please let me know, you know, let us know if you're interested in um, working with me in any capacity or if you need any help with anything. Yeah, and also one of the biggest things you can do, again, is to spread this out. Whatever platforms you have, whatever whatever ways you have of communicating with other people, like, get the shit out there. Please help Put us it spread there. it, talk about it. If you, you know, get the books and you like the books and everything like that, talk about the books. Share the books. I should say with the herbalist piece of things for me, too, uh, my ultimate goal is that I'd be able to offer it to anybody who needs it. So um, I'm hoping that eventually to get into a situation where people who have the money can donate and people who don't can still be seen or get the um, product for 
for whatever they can pay or for free or whatever. Like my my feeling there is that there's I think always with herbalism and always with natural remedies and always with medicine that people need is that's certainly something we can use like as a group. We can use mutual aid for to sort of make sure everybody has what they need. So that's where that is heading. Yeah, and in case anyone's Bla- interested in knowing. And with black and green, all that's always been the goal. It's always been the goal. Yeah, and, and it's how you are with your music, Peregrine. Yeah, with Peregrine. Uh huh. Which Peregrine? Uh, you go to peregrine.bandcamp.com if you're looking for anti-fascist, anti-civ, primal anarchist metal. There you go. Absolutely, that's out there in the same sort of format of. Um, pay as you can. Pay as you can. But so. also, there's a lot more to be coming on that front as well. There's a lot happening. Yeah. So the more you can help, the better it is. We appreciate it a lot, and also, yeah, if there's somebody that needs support, by all means, let us know as well. Uh, and the same always goes if people need to get books to prisoners, we can always help out. Absolutely. Please let us know if anybody is needed in need of something. Yes. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you again very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. And uh, one final mention that the podcast, all episodes are available on all major platforms. We're also primalanarchy.org, and we are a proud member of the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Thanks. So listen to the soul cast. Oh yeah, the soul cast. A proud member of the Channel Zero Podcast Network. Every Thursday, I drop a new podcast, usually an interview with an author, an organizer, a revolutionary, an artist, a creator, a permaculturist. Basically, the soul cast is a compendium of tools, strategies, and ideas for building autonomy and revolutionary struggle. Listen to it on Channel Zero, on soul1.org, or anywhere podcasts are found.